The song we have just sung is a great song to meditate on, especially at the beginning of a new year when time is passing and we are starting a new year. And the song that hopefully you've caught the message, its aim is to gaze, help our hearts gaze at Christ. I pray that it would bless your soul as you meditate on it this week. This week has been a special week uh, on a number of fronts. Not only have we started a new year, uh, and I want to wish you all a happy new year. But this week has also been a, uh, this year has also been a, uh, a new year in which one of our members has already gotten married. Daniel and Rebecca Echeverria have said, I do to one another. We're so happy for them. We, uh, we rejoice with them. We want to pray for them. Uh, they're in on their honeymoon now, so pray for them. And uh, when they come back, welcome them. But it's a great way to begin a year, a new year with a wedding. And uh, it's so sweet to see our congregation gather around each of our family and uh, bless them, encourage them, and may the Lord watch them and, uh, and be kind to them. We are this morning looking at the theme of kindness. The world is in high demand of kindness. We seek it because it is in short supply. It's so pleasant when you are in a community or in relationships where kindness is present. It's so painful when you are in relationships where kindness is absent. And now we should not confuse kindness with niceness. Uh, we oftentimes use these words uh, interchangeably, but we should not confuse them. Uh, while people use these words in overlapping ways, there is a difference between them. Niceness is simply doing something that is pleasant for the other person, while kindness is doing what is helpful to the other person. Uh, kindness is one of the attributes of God. Uh, when you see kindness in others, you see a reflection of the image of God in them, no matter who they are. In our text that we will be looking at this morning, we get to see kindness on display in a powerful way. As a matter of fact, the Bible has so much to say about kindness, particularly about the kindness of God and about the kindness that we ought to have towards each other when we are reconciled with God. One of the, one of the fruits, one of the characteristics of, of our walks with the Lord is that as we encounter the kindness of God, we ourselves get to show it and are called to show it to others in a in particular and profound ways. But today, as we look at the theme of kindness, we get to read about the kindness of God's king. In the storyline of, of the book of, of Samuel, First and Second Samuel, and particularly Second Samuel as we are working through now, kindness plays such a big role that an entire chapter of the book of Second Samuel is devoted to highlight King David as he displays kindness for us in a powerful way. So I invite you to open God's word to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 
I'll be reading from verse 1 all the way to the end of the chapter, verse 13. For, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 9 from verse 1. Here is the word of the Lord for us. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He's crippled in his feet. And the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He's in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodebar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodebar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of, your, of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? And the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for us for the first Sunday of 2024. Would you join me in prayer, asking God to bless the preaching of his word and our hearts as we hear? Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for revealing yourself to us through the ways of your king, King David. Father, we pray that this passage that was read and the preaching that I will have will be assisted by your Holy Spirit so that you will speak to every one of our hearts. Lord, I need your help and we all need your help. Would you be present with us? In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. 
Second Samuel 9 is one of the sweet chapters of Second Samuel. It's one of the, the chapters where we see the beauty and the winsomeness of kindness on display. It would help us to remember where we are in the book. The, the Mount Everest of 2 Samuel is not chapter 9, it was chapter 7. Uh, the Davidic covenant. And then in chapter 8, we have seen how the narrator told us that God did for David what he promised to do back in chapter 7. God gave victories to David all against all his enemies. And the people of God were at, at, at rest, at peace from surrounding enemies, secure, safe. And that David administered and, and led his people, administering justice and righteousness over all God's people. That's how chapter 8 ended. And now we get to hear that King David was not only a king who administered justice and righteousness, but this chapter, chapter 9, wants to highlight another characteristic about the kind of king David was. Another characteristic about David as a king, he was kind. We see here that God's king is kind. Not merely just and not merely righteous, but also kind. And the lesson this chapter wants to convince you and me about about this kindness, the, the kindness of God's king. As we look at this chapter in the storyline of the whole book of First and Second Samuel, this chapter wants to convince you and I that the kindness of God's king proves that he is worthy to be followed. The kindness of God's king proves that he is worthy to be followed. What's so special about the kindness of God's king particularly here in this chapter. As we look at the story, there's three features that put on display the special character of the kindness of God's king. So let's look at what's so special about the kindness of God's king, particularly as it's shown in this chapter. Number one, the first characteristic. What's so special about this kindness? The kindness of the king is rooted in the covenant. The kindness of the king is rooted in the covenant. Look at verse 1. David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for the sake of Jonathan? Or for Jonathan's sake. As we've read the story, we know that Mephibosheth will show up on, on the scene as one who will be the recipient of this kindness. And I ask you, what did Mephibosheth do to deserve this kindness? What did Mephibosheth do to deserve this kindness? Take a moment to think. It's quietly in your heart. You don't have to say it out loud. What did he do to deserve this kindness? 
I hope your answer is nothing. That is the correct answer. He did nothing to deserve this kindness. So why did David show it to him? Verse 1 tells us, for Jonathan's sake. God's king took the initiative to act kindly towards Mephibosheth because of someone else. Because of Jonathan. This kindness that Mephibosheth received was totally unmerited, undeserved, unworked for. Now, what's so special about Jonathan that David would show him this kind of kindness? Remember David's covenant with Jonathan back in 1 Samuel? This is what Jonathan asked David back in 1 Samuel chapter 20. Listen to the words between Jonathan and David in chapter 20 of 1 Samuel. Jonathan says to David, If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. When the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. The covenant Jonathan made with David. Jonathan had pledged his loyalty and his love to David as the future king of Israel, even while his father was still the king and on the throne, when his family was still running the show and the political and the military life in Israel. Yet Jonathan knew that God had chosen David to be the next king. So Jonathan pledged his allegiance to David and in return asked David for David's protection. It's not a coincidence that in chapter 8, we saw a picture of David's enemies all being subdued because of God's faithful promise having been completed with David. It's as if Jonathan had known that this day was coming. He had seen it coming somehow by faith. Even though his father Saul was still running the show, Jonathan knew a day will come when God will cut off every one of David's enemies and David will be on the throne, king over Israel. And Jonathan says to David, David, when that day will come, don't cut off my family line. Spare my life if I'm still alive and spare the life of my offspring. You see, Jonathan had to choose between putting his hope in his own family dynasty or in the new dynasty that God planned to raise through David. Back in 1 Samuel chapter 20, Jonathan had made his choice of changing his allegiance and putting himself under the covenant with David. And the question is, 
was that choice worth making? Was that choice worth making? Was it worth placing his allegiance, his love, his hope for protection under the authority of a potential future king who was not his family and who was still on the run? Rejected by his father. What if Saul's efforts to keep the throne and build a family dynasty through Saul's family, what if those would have worked? After all, if that would have worked, Jonathan would have been king. He would have been next in line. And yet Jonathan made that choice. A choice by faith because he believed that God had chosen David to be the next king. And this chapter answers, uh, answers the wondering and the question if Jonathan's choice was worth it. This chapter answers it was worth every bit of it. For us today, we don't look to David as our king. For us Christians today, we look to the one that David foreshadowed as king. We look to King Jesus. We have a similar logic before us as Jonathan had back in chapter 20 of 1 Samuel. Is it worth changing our allegiance and putting our affections and confidence in God's anointed king, even if it means forsaking our right to run our own lives? Is that choice worth making? Is it worth to seek protection under the king who has been rejected by people around you? To seek the protection of a king who is not popular with mass media? Is it worth choosing a king who may not be popular among some of your close friends, among some of the people that you want to impress? Is it worth choosing this future king instead of hoping for you to be the king of your life? Perhaps you're here this morning and you are on the fence whether or not to trust in Christ. Whether or not it's worth casting your lot, putting your eggs in this one basket called King Jesus. Chapter 9 of 2 Samuel tells us that the answer is absolutely yes, it is worth it. This chapter encourages us to see that even for us as Christians, we can continue and should continue to put our hope and reliance and confidence in Christ. Sometimes as Christians, we struggle in our own faith wondering whether or not our trust in Christ will pay off. Earlier in our Sunday school, in Psalm 37, the psalmist was talking to the person, to the, to, the, to the soul who is looking at the prosperity of the wicked and wondering, aren't they having a better deal than I am? Because sometimes being a Christian is actually not the easier way through this life. Sometimes taking the path of the of the 
whole wide world, the unchristian, the, the wicked, the just doing things as you please, being an opportunist, uh, doing, running your life as you see best fit seems to be the better way. Is it truly worth following a king who is on the run, who is rejected, who is not considered popular? Well, friends, sometimes even in our doubts as Christians, we need to hear a passage like this and be reminded and be encouraged that it's absolutely worth following and being under the covenant of a king who has been on the run. Because God's anointed king is able to show kindness to all those who are in covenant with him. This chapter shows us that a long time has passed before we see the proof that it was worth it for Jonathan to make it, make the covenant with, with David. Just consider how much time has passed from 1 Samuel 20 to 2 Samuel 9. A long time. Think how uncertain things were along the way. But despite all the waiting and the ups and downs, a day came when the kindness of the king culminated in the events of chapter 9. David shows us in this chapter that God's king will be faithful to his covenant with all those who place their confidence, affection, and allegiance to him. If the previous chapter proved to us that God's king administered justice and righteousness here we see that God's king administers kindness to those he is in covenant with. And the pattern we see in the story assures us that when you and I place confidence and hope and security and affections on God's anointed king, we too will be the recipients of the kindness of God's king. Dear Christian, hold on to Christ. Look to him with your affections and your allegiance fully set on him. For he is not only strong, but he's also kind. He's also he's kind to all those who are under the protection of his covenant. Why is King David showing kindness here? What's so special about this kindness? It's a kindness rooted in the covenant. If you're not a Christian here this morning and you're not in covenant with God, consider today coming to Him, pledging your allegiance, turning away from trying to run your life your own way. Turn to Him. If you're a youth, college student, the beginning of the year is a great way to evaluate what are you running after in your life. I want to encourage you, plead with you, consider how the kindness of God's King is rooted and, and, and helpful to those who are in covenant with God. So enter. Be a part of God's covenant by repenting of your sins and trusting in Christ for salvation. But there's another feature about this kindness of God's king. The kindness of the king is not only rooted in the covenant. The kindness of the king is the kindness of God. That's the second feature we see in this story. When David asked 
one of the Saul's former servants by the name of Ziba. If there's anyone in Saul's house still alive, notice how David describes the kindness he wants to show. Verse 3. And the king said, Is there still, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? This is what David wanted to show. The kindness of God. Not merely human kindness, not merely his own kindness, but the kindness of God. That was the model that David wanted to show in this instance. The kindness of man is different than the kindness of God. In the Bible, the word, the word translated with kindness is often translated as steadfast love. This shows that the Bible's notion of kindness is different than what oftentimes we human beings define as kindness. Kindness, according to the scripture, is rooted in love. It's a display of love, of steadfast love, of committed love, of ongoing love. God's kindness is a love-based relationship. That's why some Bible translators translate the Hebrew word hesed interchangeably between kindness or loving kindness. Kindness is, is also rooted in the covenant loyalty. It's a, it's a kind of kindness that binds one to the other. It's not merely a, a popcorn kindness. You know, it just pops up and just moves on. And there's no connection. No, the, the loving kindness of God is a kindness that connects God to his people in a covenant. And this is what Jonathan asked David back in 1 Samuel to show not only towards Jonathan, but also to his family and his offspring. Jonathan said, if I'm still alive, David, when you get on the throne, if I'm still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord. It's the same word, the hesed of the Lord. Show me the kindness of the Lord that I may not die. In other words, spare my life and don't kill the offspring of the rival dynasty when you become king. Now, what's the big deal about that I may not die? Ancient people understood this very well. When a new dynasty uh, came to the throne, one of the means of securing the stability of the new dynasty was by eliminating all the heirs of the old dynasty. That's the way human affairs were done in ancient times. That's how the king of the nations reigned. And that's why Saul was willing to kill David, because David was a threat to Saul's dynasty. And John knew, Jonathan knew that what was at stake in David becoming king was the lure, the temptation of, of David perhaps acting like the rest of the kings of the nations. Killing the, the offspring, the heirs of the rival dynasty. Jonathan knew what was at stake if David became king and acted like all the other kings. His life, his 
offspring, the life of his offspring, was at stake. But Jonathan finds confidence and knows there's a different kind of kindness than human kindness. There's a divine kindness, the kindness of God, the steadfast love that does not go up and down, that stays consistent. It brings life to those who rightly deserve to die. That's what Jonathan knew about the steadfast love of the Lord. And that's what Jonathan asked David for. Hey, David, when you get on the throne, show me the steadfast kindness of God so that I may live and my family may live, though, in popular opinion, we deserve to die. And despite all the social norms of ancient times, David is committed to show Mephibosheth, to show Saul's house the kindness of God. No human king would act in this way towards members of the rival dynasty. But David did because that's what the kindness of God does. It reaches out to those who have been the, in the opposite camp and extends them life and blessing. Just consider the verse we have read at the beginning of the service from Titus 3. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, God's kindness reaches out to those who don't deserve it, to give life, to spare the life of those who actually deserve to die. Friend, have you experienced the kindness of God in your own soul? Have you come to see it and experience in your own inner being a sense of the, of the joy and the security that comes from the kindness of God? To know and to believe, as once Jonathan did, that God's kindness preserves life. And to ask, like Jonathan did ask of David, David, show me the kindness of God. Spare my life when the time comes for me to deserve to die. To deserve to die. Spare my life. It's that confidence that Jonathan had in the kindness of God. And now David shows to Saul's family it's the kindness of God that spares life. Do you know it? Have you experienced it? But there's a third feature about the kindness of God that we see in this text. Not only is the kindness of the king rooted in the covenant, it's also the, the kindness of God that spares li the life. But lastly, and actually this is the one most broadly described, the kindness of the king is a lavish kindness. The kindness of the king is a lavish kindness. When David shows the kindness of God to Mephibosheth, he's committed to show it and describes it. He does a lot more than simply spare his life. He does a lot more than simply ensure that Jonathan's offspring continues to live. What we see in this chapter is the lavishness of the kindness of God that David put on display for Saul's household and for us. 
Notice four elements of the lavishing, the lavish kindness of God that David shows to Saul's house in this chapter. When David encounters Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth knows what is at stake for him, an offspring of a rival dynasty, to be in the presence of the current king. Notice four elements that David shows Mephibosheth. First is safety. Mephibosheth was afraid. Likely, afraid for his life. He knew what was the customary thing for a king to do in such situations. His fears were understandable, but David's response to Mephibosheth, his first words were, do not fear. Do not fear. This is, this is a message of, of security, of safety. Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. David wants Mephibosheth to know that the kindness that he's about to receive is not rooted in David. It's not rooted because David is just a kind and nice person. It's not rooted in Mephibosheth either. It's not rooted in his worthiness. No, the, the safety that, that David speaks to Mephibosheth is a safety that is rooted in the covenant David had made with Jonathan. David's kindness is an informed kindness, aware of the fears going on in Mephibosheth's soul. And David speaks to him, assuring him, whatever you may fear, have no reasons to fear. This is the kindness of God. It gives assurance of life and safety. But there's another characteristic about the lavish assurance of the lavish kindness of God. It restores the inheritance. It restores the inheritance. Look at verse 7. As David speaks, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. And when we read in verse 9 through 11, we find out that David not only restored the family land back to Mephibosheth, but also David restored the servants of Saul's household back to Mephibosheth so that the servants could work the newly restored inheritance, the land, and make it sustainable for Mephibosheth's family to continue to have to live. As we see, there's a son that Mephibosheth has. By restoring the family estate and giving back the servants, David ensured that Jonathan's family line will be provided for and have long-term sustainability. But there is more to the kindness that David showed Mephibosheth. It's not only safety and restoration of inheritance, it's also table fellowship. David tells Mephibosheth at the end of verse 7, and you shall eat at my table always. It's one thing to restore someone's lost estate and help him get back on his own feet. No pun intended. It's one thing to just say, hey, let me help you get back on track. And hope you do. 
it's something very different for David to say. From this day forward, you will eat at my table. And so Mephibosheth did. This is how chapter 13 closes. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. Being invited to eat together in ancient times was a symbol of mutual trust and fellowship. So for a lame man who had no family connection to David in terms of blood connection, to find himself eating at the king's table, not just once or once in a while, but daily for the rest of his life, Imagine eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and snacks for the rest of his life at the king's table. That's a huge deal. Kids, imagine with me for a moment. Children, imagine that you were given an offer from McDonald's to eat free meals any time you wanted for the rest of your life. Even some adults would be really glad if that happened. You mean I don't have to cook anymore? You mean I get free food? Yes. For the rest of my life? Yes. Imagine that. But it gets a little better than that. Imagine that instead of the invitation being or being given to you or the offer coming from the CEO of McDonald's giving that to you, imagine if that invitation came from the White House. And the invitation was to have the meal with the president of the country every day for the rest of your life. The one who has invited Mephibosheth to eat with him at his, at his table for the rest of his life was the most powerful king in the season, in this time in ancient Israel. It was a king who had subdued all other enemies. Imagine receiving an invitation to eat at his table for the rest of your life. It's a big deal. Whenever the king ate, Mephibosheth ate. And it's not just about being nourished. It's not just about getting food, getting free food. The aim of this invitation to dine with a king had to do not merely with nourishment, but with nearness. To experience being near this king. To experience his constant fellowship with this king. That's the point of being invited to the king's table. It's not merely about nourishment and getting free food. It's about spending time regularly 
and nearly to this king. And this is the kindness of God that David wants to show to a lame man. It's not merely provisions and nourishment. It's nearness and personal encounter. That's why God is not just wanting to to bless us and give us supplies so that we can live our lives. He wants us to enjoy those supplies when we're near to Him at His table. That's why the whole idea of blessings and seeing various facets of the kindness of God is not merely to, be, to have the supplies to live life well supplied in this world, but to, but to enjoy nearness with the Lord. Taking His blessings while discounting His nearness. It's like saying, all right, I'm taking my meal provided by the, by the cooks at the king's table. I'm going to go out and eat it on my own, far away from the king. That was not the point. The point was to eat it with the king. Friends, that's why when God offers us his kindness, he's not merely wanting to give us his goodies. He wants us to be near him as we enjoy his supplies. For us to experience the nearness of God, some of us want God's supplies without actually wanting to enjoy their nearness to Him. The table fellowship that Mephibosheth had experienced from that day forward was more than nourishment. It was nearness. But there is yet another feature of the kindness of God shown in this picture. It's not only safety. It's not only restoration of inheritance. It's not only table fellowship, it's royal family treatment. This consistent table fellowship gave Mephibosheth access to the king as if he was one of the king's sons. Verse 11 captures that so beautifully. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. You know, it's one thing for David to offer Mephibosheth food regularly, And to treat him as he treated the servants who prepared the food in his house. It's one thing for David to say to Mephibosheth, I'm writing you a check. You'll be food supplied for the rest of your life with my food. And you'll get it. It'll be delivered every day in your apartment. You'll get it. That's one thing. But Mephibosheth was treated more than that. He was treated as if he was one of the king's sons. And here we see the amazing, the amazing facet of the kindness of God that lifts up Mephibosheth to the status of being treated like a royal son. With the death of Saul and Jonathan, the dynasty of Saul lost its royal power. God had taken away from Saul and from Jonathan the, the royal status. But being in covenant with God's anointed king restored Mephibosheth to being treated like a royal son once again. This is the kindness of God. It's not bare bones treatment. 
It's not bare bones kindness. It's not barely sparing one's life. It's not only sparing one's life. It's so much more than that. It promises safety, restoration of inheritance, table fellowship, and royal treatment. But there's a bit of a, of a sour note at the end of this chapter. And I wonder if you caught it. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. Though Mephibosheth was treated like a king's son, he was still lame. David restored many things for Mephibosheth. His lands or his father's and his grandfather's lands, servants, royal status. But the lameness of his feet, David could not restore. But a day would come when one of David's offsprings would come as a king, strong and kind. He would offer safety of life everlasting. He would offer the restoration of a lost eternal inheritance. He would offer the promise of table fellowship. Just listen to what he, Jesus told his disciples. You are those who stayed with me in my trials. And I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. The Davidic king came to earth and promised his followers to eat at the table of his future and promised kingdom. Table fellowship. And even now, we as Christians are invited to remind each other of that table fellowship that is awaiting for all of us who are in Christ. By doing what we have just done today, eating at his table, a meal that we could not provide for ourselves even if we wanted to, even if we tried with all our good works, none of it would have been good enough. We are invited as Christians until that day comes. We're invited, and this is what it means to be a Christian, to be given the right to enjoy these elements in the here and now for all those who have put their faith and trust in Christ. Because now, we are feeding and drinking on the body and blood of the Lord in a symbolic way and proclaim his death until he comes and bring us into that eternal feast. Eternity is pictured in the Bible as a lavish feast with rich food, old wine, 
Yes, Baptists. Old wine. And lavish, lavish food. Read Isaiah 24 and 25 to get the picture. This meal here is an anticipation of the table fellowship that the Davidic king is promising to all those who come to him. And then family, royal family treatment. Even though we were the rival dynasty, even though we were in the wrong family, God's Davidic king would extend his royal treatment to us while we were still enemies. The passage we read earlier, Romans 10, uh, 5, 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. We've received from the Davidic king safety, restoration of inheritance, table fellowship, royal treatment. As one Bible teacher put it beautifully, we are the Lord's Mephibosheths. And there's absolutely no reason why we should be eating continually at the Lord's table except for the grace of God. This is the kindness of God that invites us in. This is the kindness of God that is rooted in His covenant, the kindness of God that is lavish, the kindness of God that He's giving and shown on display to His King. Those who place their confidence and security with God's anointed king can be assured that they too will benefit from God's kindness in these lavish ways. Under the protection of his covenant, you and I can be secure, can hold a hope of restoration, even though now our bodies are aching and some of us have our physical limitations in ways that we cannot help it. And yet God promises to restore our inheritance, to, in, to give us a table fellowship with him, and to be welcomed as royal sons and daughters. But this king that came after David did something that David could not do. He could command the lame to walk. He could command the lame to walk. He could command dead people to come out of tombs. This is the king that David is foreshadowing. A king who would come and restore to us what was lost. If you ask Mephibosheth, actually, let's start earlier. If you asked Jonathan, was it worth it to put your affections and trust and allegiance to a king who is on the run and unsure if he's going to make it or worth living after him and following him? Did Jonathan's choice for David over Saul pay off in the end? Mephibosheth would have told you, yes, it did. 
Yes, he did. He might have told you, Mephibosheth might have told you, I have no words to describe it. Perhaps Mephibosheth would have pointed us to Hannah's words from chapter 2 in 1 Samuel. When Hannah said that God raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. Mephibosheth would have said, that's my story. And Jonathan would say to you, it was so worth it. Our king today is way greater than David. Our king is able to restore the lame and to give life to the dead. He proved it when he was on earth. So this chapter is trying to convince us that the kindness of God's king proves that he is worthy to be followed. Will you, at the beginning of this year, put your affections and trust and allegiance on God's anointed king? He is strong and he is kind. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being the God who showed us incredible love. You showed us a loving kindness that surpasses understanding, that surpasses our ability to comprehend. Father, help our eyes and the eyes of our hearts to see your love for us as you have shown us your kindness in the King you have sent for us. We pray that our hearts would be so captivated by your kindness that our hearts' allegiance, trust, and love and affections would be reoriented to you and to you alone. And our hearts' aim this year as we begin a new year would be stirred and redirected to you alone. Father, cause your love to flow in our hearts in overwhelming measures so we would be people who see your kindness, who respond to your kindness, who benefit from your kindness, and who reflect your kindness. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.